And welcome back to another episode of Blossom Down. We are your host. I am Steve. He is Wally. He is David. Before we toss it over to the boys to see how the weekend was, we want you to know this episode is brought to you by TabEase.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market, T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Make sure you use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that order as well as free shipping. Super wild card weekend. Check that box. A lot of boxes were checked with how great these games. I don't think there was one bad game maybe except one bad half of a game. I'll, I'll give you that. But guys, how was your super wildcard weekend? It reminds you that the NFL doesn't miss where we and everybody else goes into this last week and we were nervous. And to your point, Steven, it was an unbelievable slate of games. Buffalo, Miami, no one expected that, or at least not to that level. And then the same with the Bengals and Ravens. We're 98 yard, one of the, the craziest playoff plays of all time away from getting a Baltimore Ravens team who is as dysfunctional as it gets. And we'll get plenty into that, but it was awesome. It was amazing. I had so much fun. I'm sure you guys did too. I just want it known to all of our viewers that I have a special gift where I just jinx anyone and everyone just by confidently saying something, even if I myself don't believe it. For instance, I said the chargers game was over and then I went to bed and the Jags come back and win. I said the Bills game was all but over. Dolphins come charging back. And then I test the Siri by saying the Dolphins are going to win this and the Bills win. But they go up by 10 and end up winning. Then I tested it further by saying Waddle sucks and is blanking. And voila, like three minutes later, he gets his only catch of the game. I'm just saying I have the ability to jinx everyone this playoffs. And I'm really excited to, you know, come for all of your favorite teams. It was like a no hitter. Because I, I really like it was starting to be a little weird. It yeah. was like like anything I say, just the exact opposite. Like it not, even if I didn't believe it, it just say it in the exact opposite rolls true. It was it was interesting for sure. I didn't want to look at you. I didn't want to look at the text because it was just a it was such a, a crazy development. Like you said, it was truly a lot of times people are hyperbolic in this. No, everything David was saying was going the other way. And I even texted him because I could feel it. When it was like 20, I can't remember if it was 24 nothing or whatever it was at the time. I'm like, they're going to come back in this game. And I'm going to be a just innocent bystander that's going to get screwed on his own picks because of what you're doing. And go figure it happened. I'm a sucker for, I was teasing myself to take the Jags money line. I ended up only taking or live when they were down like 21 nothing, something like that. I ended up pulling the trigger on plus nine and a half. Took a little bit for it to get there, but Trevor Lawrence. Welcome to the NFL playoffs. My goodness. He was literally four for 16 with 30 yards and four picks at one point in that first half to turn it on. Like he did. It's just, it's, it feels like a coming of age. Like Trevor Lawrence is really about to establish himself in that tier one of quarterbacks. And it's great for the the NFL. The AFC especially is loaded right now. This is a fantastic transition to what I, before we actually get started here, because Trevor Lawrence annoys the shit out of me just all around. So, you know, we talked about pet peeves while driving last week and it got my juices flowing. So now I need to hear everyone's biggest overall pet peeves or annoyances. And I'll, I'll start to get the, to get the mind rolling. Right. So my first is simply being late or lacking respect for other people's time. Like I can't, I can't stand to be late. It's, it's my biggest pet peeve when I'm running late. Like it just, it it gets me angry. Uh, Number two, 
the the people I talked about last week who just camp camp in the left lane or the passing lane, I want to run all those idiots off the road. But number three, which could be number one on some days, people who lack spatial awareness, like the people who are just like standing in the middle of like a hallway, a doorway, a sidewalk, people that are just in the way, dicking around or like security in an airport, like they grab all their stuff. They're just like right in the middle of everything, just dicking around, putting their belt back on. Like I hate all of those people who lack spatial awareness. And I'm throwing out an honorable mention for people who chew loudly. Okay. The I, first of all, the spatial awareness thing, it's so perfect because there's just so many people out there that it truly feels just aren't aware of people around them. It's they're truly the only human being in the world. And there's nothing more frustrating than that. It's a disrespect thing. And I'm a big respect guy. It's funny that you, you even uh, like did this today, David, brought up pet peeves. Because if you guys can even see here, I've had on my phone a pet peeves thing in my phone since May. I'm an old man where I just, I'm like, I got to remind myself what I'm angry about now. So anytime there's a new one, I add a new pet peeve. So today, when I saw this, I'm like, great, I've got my list right here. So I'll just spitfire these fast for you. Commenting about a time someone wakes up as if you are the like better human being because you beat someone up. It bothers the shit out of me. And especially for me, because I'm a guy that stays up till three in the morning and working and, and then like get those comments in the morning as if I'm not doing anything. It bothers the hell out of me. So, oh, you're tired? I've been tired since 2003. Yeah, it's just like, oh, <laughs> You, you don't know how to work, son. I'm like, okay, great. Stay up till three and talk to me. But then fans that are competitive about being the biggest fan, like the people out there, like, oh, you have no idea what how I'm feeling right now. I'm like, guess what? That That is called being a fan. Gatekeeping, who's the best fan, is the biggest douchebag move in the world. I can't Those stand it. Those are the same it. people that want to trade Miles Garrett. Rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, well, they're the same people too that are like, oh, I'm I'm this dog's favorite. I'm I'm this kid's favorite. Like, well, what is the point of you even saying that? We can't ask the dog. You're just propelling this so that we think that whatever. People that think everyone cares. Oh, this is fun. People that uh, think everyone cares about their dog, which is adjacent to bragging parents. No one cares that little Dylan threw a four hitter in three innings in his coach's pitch, or I, I guess first time kids playing. It's just, we don't care. We have to pretend and we sit there. Oh, wow. Really? And then you show us a picture of him. We're all, oh yeah. He certainly looks like he's a 12 year old. That is something else that good for you. Okay. Parties for one-year-olds. They don't care. They're not going to remember it. And I have to get a gift for a one-year-old kid, it's just like, uh, again, it's like a ploy. I just, what are you doing? What are you accomplishing? Not stopping your kids from kicking the seat on airplanes. It could go oh, beyond that. Oh, brother. Just like wow. kids in general. Yeah, like what anytime a kid in general is being disrespectful and parents are just like, it's okay, he's just a kid. No, well, no, he's was not. Was that the Vegas trip you had that? Or was that, or I guess a previous Vegas trip? Because you went twice this past year. Well, it, yes, not. I don't know if it was yours or if it was the bachelor party. You're right. That did happen. And I got pissed because you do the casual haha and you look over your shoulder and then you're like, okay, haha, they're kicking. <laughs> maybe, maybe we yeah, stop like, them kicking. Do something. Yeah. And it's like, like, please help me. Cause you can't like turn around and yell at a kid because then I'm the bad guy. 
It's Dude. that's terrible. Get off. First Wait, off, you, you definitely can, can yell at a kid. You, will you get looks? Absolutely. You, <laughs> but you can yell at a kid. But but spin off. I had a a customer in the service drive like a week ago who I'm pretty sure was the grandma, but had this like, I don't know, six-year-old kid who was running around the service drive, you know, where cars pull in and this kid could just get hit by a car. Like, and this this grandmother was just like, mm, just stop, you know, just stop. And, and like not actually doing anything. This kid's running around, like hanging off of other people's cars. And then he gets back into, the, he gets into the driver's side seat of the car that she drove in, locks the doors and she goes up to the window and she's like, now unlock the doors or I'm going to have this service advisor come and get you. And I'm just sitting there like, what? Like my parents would have murdered me by now. Like what? <laughs> Minimum two backhands if that was me. Yeah. <laughs> like bring back the days of parents getting mad at their kids in public. Cause now it's like taboo. Like you're supposed to like, like cater and like give in to this little kid's desire when he's crying in Walmart. I remember one time I was being a little shit at Walmart when I was probably six or seven years old with my little brother. And my mom did the thing. If you guys don't stop, we're going to go home and we're going to come back out. And we kept acting like shit, left the cart right there, told somebody, Hey, we're going to be back. Don't worry about it. And like, we went home, drove 20 minutes, parked the car in the driveway and reversed right back, and we went right back to Walmart. It was hell, but it got the point across, and we knew exactly from that point on, we ain't going to do this again. But last two, and I swear I'm done, people who cut at concerts or, like, events, where it's like a, a walk-up crowd, where you're just, like, cutting through. People have been standing there for hours to watch the people they want, and then you're going to have a goon the size of Steven going to walk up right in front of us, and then I'm like looking through the back of someone's head for a concert. It's again, it's so disrespectful. I get into like upset shouting matches all the time when it happens. Happened at the NFL draft this last year. Douchebag Chargers fan, happy they lost yesterday. Hope he thought of me. But the last one, not, this might be my biggest one. Because again, it is so simple to do. And it's just such a disrespectful thing to the employees. But not putting your grocery cart away and leaving it right outside your door or your car, it is such a scumbag move. You're such a pigeon. You are not worth the gum on the tires of the cart if you leave it out. And that's all I got. I, I Have you ever seen those videos of, like, the guy who pretends he's the cart police and he, like, follows people who don't – like, you know, somebody, like, just leaves the cart next to their car, he grabs it and then puts Ooh. it behind their car so they can't back out? Dude, there are videos of, of this guy. I got to find them for you. It is perfection. Please do. That sounds like a hero. <laughs> he is a hero. <laughs> there's uh, there's videos of, like, guys going around zip-tying, like, the carts to people's car doors if they're doing that shit, too. Oh, That's so awesome. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a disrespect thing, especially this time of year when it's cold. That employee, that 16-year-old, is just trying to make seven bucks so he can go to the movies with his friend and you think that your time is so much more valuable than this young person's time it's just so blatantly disrespectful and it just sets me off like it, teeth grinding when you see it happen so anyways so i so i get to follow that up perfect so i don't have <laughs> i i probably could have a list bob 
about three or four times long as Wally. But for the sake of the show, I narrowed it down to three. I don't even really feel that confident in. So I'm just going to kind of spitball like Wally did. To piggyback off David's, just spatial awareness, I'm just going to go with overall obliviousness to a situation in public. It drives me insane if you're in my way. Oh, excuse me. Do you know where Verizon Wireless is? Right fucking behind you, actually. If you'd look up from your fucking phone, you'd actually see exactly you're right in front of it. Why are you bothering me? Um, strangers, only strangers calling you guy. Guy's an aggressive that. word, too. And it, and it depends if you if it's a if it's someone calling you guy from like New York it comes off really aggressive, but like one time I was delivering pizza when I was uh, back in North Carolina, and I forgot my pen at the at the door. Hey guy, you forgot your pen. It's like I just fucking delivered your pizza, dude. I have a fucking name. Thanks for the two fifty tip. Now eat my shit. Saying you don't like something and then when someone asks, oh, have you had it or tried it, and your answer is no. I remember it wasn't me specifically, but I was at a, I was visiting some friends at university of Tennessee and it was like a friend of a friend. Um, one of my best friends, frat brothers, cause we were going to a, an, an event where we were pairing up with at the time or his girl, his girlfriend, now wife at the time had some friends. We were all, we were all going together. My man, Mark got put on a different table than me the night before he houses a whole fireball bottle to himself. So he's kind of feeling it. And he's at this table and this guy's like, oh, oh, there's salad. Oh, I don't like, I don't like salad. I don't like lettuce. He goes, what do you mean you don't like lettuce? It's basically water. Yeah, no, I just don't like it. Okay. Well, have you tried it? No. Then how do you know you, how do you know you don't like it? I just know. How? And this dude literally got into a verbal altercation at a dinner for a, for a Greek life event. And I have never seen him. I've never, well, I've, I've never really seen him that much. I've never seen someone more mad about someone negating that they that they don't like salad because they've never tried it. But that irritates me. It's like, what do you mean? It's so frustrating. I have one of my favorite people on earth is a, a buddy in Northeast Ohio. He listens to this, so he'll probably get me uh, for saying this. But he always bitches about, oh, I don't like seafood. It's gross. Never tried seafood a day in his life. But he's just insisting it's gross. How do you know it's right? It, How it's do you know? I, like when I hear it, it pisses me off. I remember one time I'm like, I will pay you 20 bucks to take a piece of shrimp. First of all, I'm giving, I'm trying to like open his worldview to experience his great food. And instead, oh no, ew, I, I'm, I'm, it's like a bit almost like you're not cool. Or it's not funny. It's not quirky. If you just don't like something, cause you haven't tried it. I love that. Steven. If that dude isn't, isn't liking seafood and blaming smell or texture or anything. I can imagine that he's very much single. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. Right. The only thing I have to say, we love the feedback. We're definitely going to have these out on socials and stuff. Let us know your guys is too. I know like my brother, he wanted to point out led lights in your like on lifted trucks that come right into the mirrors while you're driving. That's terrible. We had another one talk about people, using the red light too long let us know we'll make sure we we get some of those out there as well but i i love this segment david or at least this talking point to get us going really got the playoff juices flowing if they weren't already one last one and this is this is so broad but repeating myself the third time if i'm coming in three times if it's work girlfriend kids parents oh if i have to repeat myself like twice in front of my mom i'm gonna fucking lose it but it's like dude i'm telling you you're looking me right in the eyes if you're gonna ask me in 10 seconds i'm gonna be upset 
And if you look me in the eyes again and I tell you, and then you ask me again in 15, I'm going to fucking blow a casket. I don't know how I'm ever going to be a parent. I, I can't believe that you just spurred one that I have to add to my list here. People that want to watch something with you and then are on their phone the whole time and you know they're not watching and they're asking questions while they're not watching about what just happened. Wait, what just happened? Wait, so, phone? oh, dude, one of the best, I had somebody that fell asleep during movies. There's one falling asleep during movies. Hey, let's put this one. I heard it's good. Yeah, no, I'm done with you. I had one person fall asleep halfway through the movie. I, I don't want to say it's like Sixth Sense, but it's like the only movie I can think of. And essentially, and we'll use Sixth Sense as, as the example. So he falls asleep, comes out of it, and he's just like, whoa, Bruce Willis is a ghost. I get it. It's like, you've been asleep for an hour and a half. What could you possibly get? He's like, I see dead people. I get it now. This is cool. Yeah, so I was uh, I was not thrilled, but no. I, I like the one you added there, Wally. Good job. Oh, all right. My my blood's boiling. So uh, what do you guys say? We'll, we'll start talking some football here. And before we get into the NFL news, or I guess before we get into the games, we're going to do NFL news. Sean McVay, he is back. He announced to the team this last week he will be returning this next year. But Aaron Donald, people started noticing on his Twitter bio, he has former L.A. Rams. Does this mean that this man is about to retire? Does this mean that he's weighing playing somewhere else? Out of these two, I, bigger takeaways, I guess either one. What are you guys thinking overall? He's taking his talents to Cleveland, baby. Knows he's the missing piece to that Cleveland Super Bowl. No, I don't know. I don't know why you got – I don't know why any of these athletes do anything on their social media because it's all – like, it's just so dramatic. It was just – like. Even if you are retiring, it's just such an unnecessary change. Like, just such an unnecessary change until you do anything. These athletes, especially the really, the big ones, successful ones that everyone knows, they're 13-year-old they're girls. Look at the LeBron James of the world, the Aaron Donalds, Kyler Murray this offseason unfollowing the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, that's the world that we live in where social media has such a huge impact on what we think is going to happen. Now, Aaron Donald, what I most likely he's going to be done because he was really mulling over retirement last year before he signed that fat contract or got his um, restructure of the contract to give him more money. So we'll see. But Sean McVay, cool. So he can do it, but Aaron Rodgers gets uh, shit for it. No, but Sean McVay coming back. I know that he was kind of one foot in, one foot out. It just, I would feel a little bit weird if it was my head coach that is doing this because what about next year? Do you have an extension? You have a lot of studs here right now being able to win right now, even though it is San Francisco's division here for the foreseeable future. And every time you want to count them out, they end up coming back in, even in the NFC championship game here last year. So I don't know, but I think we can all agree. These LA, these LA people are just so dramatic on top of being the athletes, like David said, these LA kids, man. Very dramatic indeed. And Sean McVay, it makes it really hard to imagine if you are a free agent or if you are a coach, that might want to take a coordinator job or even like a, a defensive line, like coach position, something like that. Why would I take that? If I have the feeling that you're not all the way committed to the team or that this might happen again next year, why would I sign for four years to embrace what looks like an ugly rebuild in LA? If I can't even guarantee I'm going to have a coach that has my best interest out there, which leads me to Aaron Donald. I do think he's done. 
he was very clear last year that he would have retired if it wasn't for the thought of repeating and having a team around him that was good enough to compete for a Super Bowl. That's gone. This, again, is about to be an ugly rebuild. And with that being said, there's no chance in hell I can imagine Aaron Donald is willing to put his body even more on the line in the trenches like he is. I think he's done. I think that he's about to hang him up, which if he does, first ballot Hall of Famer, without a doubt. So here's the thing. If he retires, you got to trade Cup and Ramsey and basically anything you can get for to replace all the picks you've traded away. But I don't think it has to be a super ugly rebuild. Like, it's going to be bad for a year. Like, it'll be worse than this past year. But you get enough picks in return for you're in the prime players. And if you have a good GM, you can probably draft your way back to maybe a nine-win team that's got potential where you can spend your money again and make it great. But Do they know how to draft anymore in L.A.? I don't know. They just laugh at other teams that draft. First round pick, never heard of her. Aaron Rodgers, speaking of the guy there, Steven, he's mulling his future yet again. It's like a Green Bay Packer quarterback tradition. Once you get into your mid to late 30s, you have to wonder whether or not I'm going to walk away. Maybe I want to play somewhere else. Maybe I do want to be a Packer again. Steven, you're the resident Packer fan of the podcast. When you heard this, was it, I don't know, worry? Because a lot of the people, or I guess the the call a few days ago or a few weeks ago when they had that game was that this was very much likely his last game. Do you feel that way still? How many times do we need to hear this over the last three years? We had it before the la- the cryptic last dance tweet that ended, or picture that ended up being about Devontae Adams. I mean, going to last season with this happening, he was mulling it over, gets the fat contract, holds them hostage, Devontae's gone, and now he's right back at it. Aaron just needs to have himself talked about when he is not the center of attention, when he's not blowing leads or blowing games in Lambo to, to a 10 point um, San Francisco team or 13 points. How many scored? doesn't matter when he's not getting, when he's not choking in the NFC championship game, he needs to be talked about. So here it is. And I can give you 68 million reasons why that he's going to want to be back next year. I don't see. I, I don't know what it is. It, it's, he might be the most unpredictable person in the NFL. Maybe that since we've been watching yeah he keeps saying all this shit and then he just does what everyone ends up thinking outside of oh well this and he is just an an assassin at stirring the pot oh my god he is so good oh yeah well oh i'm gonna keep on to this one it was a fucking rookie that played three games this year i'm like giving my jersey to a rookie that played three games i don't know who you are oh that might be his last game it's not like he had not like he's played in 200 fucking nfl games doesn't have this jersey he needs this one because he's probably going to retire. No, stop overlooking it. He's going to be back. He's going to be bitchy, grumpy, moany the entire season. And I'm here for it. Fuck Aaron Rodgers. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of him. I'm I just like if put a muzzle on him or send him to a fucking nursing home. I am so over Aaron Rodgers. I, I just can't describe it. I'm, I'm just done. Uh, he He's very frustrating. To deal with this I mean it was very much the same with Brett Favre where it's just I'm tired just tell me what you're doing I'm not gonna pretend though I don't feel like I have at least Brett Favre committed and then uncommitted like what like and they committed and then uncommitted yeah Ed Werner was basically just living outside his house for three years just waiting to find out what he was gonna do 
But well, still, like millions of dollars from Mississippi. Kind. True. Welfare down in Mississippi. You hate to see that. Uh, <laughs> but he's, I don't know. I, I'm not going to pretend like I know where he's going. I, I feel like there's a real chance he could be involved in trade discussions. If a team like the Raiders come calling saying, hey, we have Derek Carr. Maybe we'll throw some picks in. We want Aaron Rodgers for a year or two run. I don't think he's off the table in that sense. And I don't think the team is as married to him as they were last year. I think they themselves are getting frustrated with the never ending saga. That is Aaron Rodgers. It just has to make sense too. Well, I don't think that he'd want to go to Vegas because just lack of defense, right? You, For the majority of his career, his defense hasn't been good. Why would he want to go somewhere like that? I could see maybe the jets. And like, where else would you, where else could you seriously see him landing? We'll see where ends up with Tom Brady. He's going to return the bucks. Maybe the same, maybe to San Fran, maybe to Vegas, but Aaron needs to go to a perfect situation. Somebody who actually has cap money and everything around him. This is something that no one really thinks about. It's like, Oh, put him on a new tier. Everything's good. He's been bitching about rookies. He's been bitching about guys he's never played with. You're going to put him on a team full of guys he's never played with. You think his energy and everything's just going to change drastically? No, there's going to be learning curves. It's going to be rough. He's staying. You can dominate your division. Uh, lack thereof, I guess, just this past year. But look at but look at the track record. Yes, the division's getting more competitive. You can finally fight for something instead of winning 13 games in a, in a division, winning by seven games in the lead. Why would you want to leave? You built it here. You built the chemistry up on the team. We'll see what we'll see what happens with the veterans here in the offseason. We're just gonna be wasting your time if you're the, going somewhere else. The perfect situation for Aaron Rodgers, though, might just be the place with the best peyote. We don't know what he's up to. They whatever he Well, well, Denver's already got Russ. True. That's true. He wants to go and be a backup there, you know. Le- legalize, man. Dennis Allen is getting retained by the New Orleans Saints. As they look to maximize Sean Payton's trade value, they even gave their division rival, the Carolina Panthers, permission to interview Sean Payton. What were you guys' thoughts on this? Because I know as a Raiders fan who has seen Dennis Allen lose a locker room and lose a locker room fast, it was really kind of a head-scratcher to me that this wasn't a one-and-done situation because it really felt even last year when they hired Dennis Allen that it was just a Band-Aid to figure out this year whether Sean Payton would be back or if they would go after another coach. I mean, we can start with the quarterback situation. I don't know if the front office of of New Orleans is maybe giving him the benefit of the doubt, A, because of, you know, seniority and longevity that he's had there in New Orleans over the last few years, or just how many injuries he had. I mean, we had the big question mark with Jameis Winston. You know, that Marshawn Lattimore was, was basically out for almost the entire year outside of maybe five or six games. Jarvis Landry hurt. God forbid you get Mike Williams on the Mike Williams, Mike, Michael Thomas here on the field for more than like six snaps. So maybe they're giving them the benefit of a doubt. Even have Alvin Kamara hurt a little bit. We'll see what his season looks like with possibly facing suspension. It's been really quiet since we talked about it around this time last year. So we'll see how that looks. I just think it's, I think it's a bad coaching decision. I think there's possibly a lot of good coaching candidates right now that are going to be better than Dennis Allen and already been more successful in, the, in a head coaching role or even in a coordinating role. I'm not a big Dennis Allen, guys, if you can't tell. But baby, giving permission to Carolina, how dumb are you? You really want to sit there, waste away having Sean Payton there, let him go to Carolina, 
God forbid he finds a franchise quarterback there within free agency or the draft within within a couple of years, and then he just overtakes that division again. You sit there and sulk for the next ten to fifteen years. I would enjoy that. I like to see miserable fans. Maybe give maybe give me an opportunity to like the Panthers for once. I just don't think New Orleans is doing is really doing a good job in this situation right now. I mean, I I agree. I I don't think this is a good move and. There's lots of talent out there for for the head coaching spot. Like even guys that people aren't thinking about that we've been harping on, like you know your Dan Quinns. Um, like there's a lot of talent out there that that could fit this team really well if you put together a solid coordinator staff. I feel like, uh, and, and I I relate this to business a lot because I feel like you're not doing your business justice if you're not going out and you're not at least interviewing candidates um and seeing what you have out there because it's not like you know it's not like every team is is calling and and asking for Dennis Allen and and wanting him to be their head coach right like you can literally be honest with them and be like hey you know what we're going to interview some people uh we like you a lot we think we want to bring you back but we got to do our due diligence and do what's best for the franchise right I don't think that's disrespectful. I think it's just doing what's best for your team. But, like, it's kind of wild to announce you retain him this early because he really didn't do that good of a job. I don't know. I, I just – I don't think it's a good move. I think you you need to be interviewing and seeing what you have out there. And if you come to the conclusion that, hey, you know what, Dennis Allen's our best path forward, then that's what you tell him and you move on from there. It's a team that struggled to win games this year in a division that – really was up for grabs. Anybody who even put together a, a month stretch of good football could have stolen this division. And the fact that they were basically dead in the water a month out when nobody was. Atlanta wasn't even dead in the water really until I think a week before New Orleans. It, it was it, it just made no sense to to me to retain him where you already I mean, the defense is loaded. I understand Dennis Allen is a defensive coach. Having an offense with Chris Olave, having an offense when he's healthy, Michael Thomas, <laughs> Jarvis Landry, there are pieces there that this should be an offense that should be able to put up 24-plus points a game. And the fact that he has not been able to put a staff around him to do that, the inconsistent decisions at quarterback all year for them, it just reflected a, a head coach that was out of his depth. And when there are guys like Dan Quinn, at worst, what are you doing? You're upgrading a defensive mind even. Because Dennis Allen might be a great defensive coordinator. Dan Quinn is that, but he's also shown the ability to lead an NFL team at the head coaching position. So the fact that they weren't even entertaining going outside the box, the only thing I can think is next year, they might already have a plan on who they would go after. And this is more or less just an extended break for Sean Payton or, or for uh, Dennis Allen. Like he's only going to have one more year. And to add something that is kind of going under the radar, just saying this is the first year that Tom Brady, not only won, but got a clean sweep in new Orleans. Dennis Allen was the coach. That was a deciding factor. New Orleans ended at seven and 10 Tampa Bay eight and nine. Maybe this is New Orleans if that was Sean Payton on a, you know, in a similar trajectory of the season of ending this way or the whole season. I'm just saying. With that, let's get on to our super wild card weekend recap. Before I toss it to the boys, 
for the first Saturday game, we want you to know this segment is brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, and more, especially if you're our age where it feels like there's wedding, college graduations, baby pictures, you name it. Every weekend feels like there's one activity happening. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself at abbyturnerphoto.com. That's A-B-B-E-Y or on her Instagram, Sawdad and Sapphire. Again, abbyturnerphoto.com. First game of the weekend started off here. Saturday, we had the Seattle Seahawks heading up to San Francisco where the Niners steamrolled them 41 to 23. And quite frankly, this was a this was a close game. At one point, Seattle led 14 to 13 here in the second quarter. And then Brock Purdy and that defense started coming out to play. Gino gets a third quarter fumble that kind of changes everything in this whole game. Next thing you know, Debo Samuel touchdown, and the rest is history. So, David, don't want to ruin everything here for later. Hit the nail on the head on these divisional matchups. I'm rubbing it in his face. It's the one he got wrong. How did you guys like this game? What are your takeaways? And how dangerous is San Francisco looking right now? To kind of go in reverse order, there, San Francisco is, I think it's exactly who we thought they were going to be when we did the power rankings on Thursday. I mean, they're, it's pretty clear they're the most complete team in the playoffs right now. And they're, I mean, they're a force to be reckoned with. It's funny because like they, they turned a one point halftime deficit into an absolute blowout win. And their third string, Mr. Irrelevant quarterback was statistically outstanding. There were throws in that game that make you realize that Purdy maybe is a, a, a product of Shanahan and not of being good. Uh, which neither here nor there, he played outstanding. You can't, you can't take it away from him, but there were throws that like, if I really wanted to, I could clip like three or four throws and go, if that was Baker Mayfield, we'd be riding him for what a horrible throw it was, even for throws that were completed. But again, neither here nor there, he played great overall. I think Gino was good, not great. Walker didn't really give the Seahawks anything in terms of efficiency uh McCaffrey was elite Metcalf and Debo were elite I mean at the end of the day I felt like the difference was made in the trenches where 49ers just dominated both sides of the trenches I mean they dominated I think the the offensive line only allowed five pressures all game that's for the playoffs that's unbelievable I mean that's that's really insane you're giving this this Mr. Irrelevant a boatload of time to throw and make decision that's unbelievable. That's elite stuff. And then, I mean, their D-line just dominated. As as they always have, they're, they're just unbelievable. I, like I said, I just think it was a game that eventually came down to the trenches and the 49ers just demolished the Seahawks there. This game told us more about San Francisco to me than I think we got out of any of the weekend games where you just got a full story of what the San Francisco team was. David, you're right. Brock Purdy... He had a probably the first really bad half of his career. That first half, he did about as poorly as you could have expected in this style offense. And they had almost 250 total yards at that point. This is a scary San Francisco team right now. The defense is unbelievable. The offense is humming right now. Brock Purdy obviously had some struggles early. But he figured it out later. I mean, you got to see, to your point, CMC, that 68-yard run, really kind of established a tone early. You got to see Debo, the 74-yard touchdown reception in the second half, really ended the game. 
And even a guy that I feel like kind of gets overlooked in Brandon Ayuk, his three catches, they were all chunk plays. They always come, it feels like, at the most, like, or like times that they really could use a big catch. It's a team that is just complete at all levels. Going, like, into the playoffs, I really would have said that Philadelphia probably would have got my narrow edge because of the home field advantage. But it is hard to deny the San Francisco team right now. It looks it looks like the best unit in football, period, I mean, to me. You're, you're – that – hypothetically, everything goes according to how we think it's going to go, and it's Philly versus San Francisco. That might as well be a Super Bowl matchup. I mean, that's that's going to be an unbelievable matchup. But You're right, because the AFC is – it's got all the great quarterbacks. It's got all these tight matchups. But the best teams feel like they're in the NFC. And San Francisco, really, it, it's just, it felt like everything went against them in that first half. And it took, what, 10 minutes into the third quarter to enforce their will. You go down, you score. And the Seahawks, they walked down the field. It looked like they were going to keep it a game. And then you get the strip sack on Gino, and that was all she wrote. That was really, I mean, the game was over at that point. I'll give the Seahawks credit for giving them a good battle, but these teams just aren't on the same level right now. Great, great year for your boy, Gino. I'm going to be interested to see if they're what the negotiations are going to be for him here long-term in Seattle. I'm expecting they're going to want to keep him. They have a really good draft pick here right now. Maybe draft a young guy, keep him under Gino if he signs a two- to three-year contract because of his age. But Brock Purdy, 332 yards with four total touchdowns, three in the air, one through one through passing have we really seen him play that good of a defense? That's why I'm so eager to get him to the Philadelphia game because he hasn't played a defense like that. Granted, he does get to go up against the best defense in the NFL every single day in practice. So that's going to help a little bit, but that has me kind of worried here, even though I do have San Fran as the NFC representative on my end. The first week of December, Miami went to San Francisco and it looked to be the game that was going to establish Miami as a Super Bowl threat. And now we look back a month and a half later, and it was really San Francisco's coming out party for the same thing. Since that game, they have scored 33 or more in all games but one. The offense is explosive. The defense is explosive. They can score at will too. They It seems like they had four or five different games this year where they had one or two defensive scores. I mean, it's just a team that doesn't feel like there's a weakness and I don't know who's going to be the one that can find one, but let's go into Saturday night. Steven's background tells the whole story. The Los Angeles chargers were up 27 to nothing with two minutes left in the first half. And they lose the game 31 to 30. There's a lot to get into here. The chargers for one, This was the weirdest comeback ever. Yes, it was the third largest playoff comeback in NFL history. But this was, I think, extra weird because it wasn't like the normal blueprint for a comeback. The Chargers were still moving the ball in the second half. They were still shortening the game. When it was 27 to nothing, the Jaguars had five turnovers. From that point on, the Jaguars had five drives. That is not enough time. That is not enough drives to win a game. And the fact that the Chargers found a way 
to just torture. It's just this franchise, man. It just feels like if they can find a way to disappoint, they're going to. And this was an all-timer. We can, us three, I know I'm joining the group this year, but we can sit and bitch about how upsetting our franchise is at any given point. But at least we're not the Chargers. Okay, at least we have something. And even if, you know, an argument Wally makes all the time, it's like, I'm. how am I going to be cocky about a championship I was even on this earth for? At least we're not the Chargers. At least we're not the Chargers. I mean, my God. Herbert's balling. And I, Eckler was balling. Brandon Staley. You just got to go to Brandon Staley. I mean, here's just a list of things of why he should be fired, but yet he's not going to be fired because the Chargers are expecting to retain him, but they're going to be making coaching staff changes because the players were were really lobbying for Brandon Staley here. It's time to move on. He makes, he incrementally makes worse decisions that result in setting your team up for failure. If that goes with going for four downs, calling timeouts during a playoff game to hopefully that you guys time at the Vader so you both can go in there, to playing Mike Williams in a game that didn't matter, then he wasn't even available in this game, to blowing a 27-point lead in the playoffs. While I seemingly thought you were on the hot seat, I think all of us can say that we all thought you were on the hot seat, and this dude still has a job. He's like the meteorologist of NFL coaches. He is always wrong, but he somehow gets the okay. Oh, he's just a meteorologist. Okay. As long as you're right 50% of the time, that's all that matters. No. Yes, you yeah, you made a great run to get your team here. But, I mean, my God, in the big, big lights on national television, you shrunk. You let this guy who never slipped a playoff game in his life, his first seven drives of his playoff career resulted in zero touchdowns and four interceptions. And then you let the next five result in four touchdowns and winning the game. I mean, it's bad. And we also, we got robbed of the powder blue teal game. I know that I know the game, the jerseys would have been a little bit too close, but just to flex on people that are colorblind, I wanted that to happen. (laughs) So let's start with, just in general, repeating what everyone said, right? Like this game was kind of shocking and it's a tale of two halves for, for Trevor Lawrence. You know, we've already said it, but in the first half, he, he might as well have been Nathan Peterman. Then in the second half, he was 18 to 23, 211 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 144 and a half passer rating as perfect as it gets for a quarterback in the second half. He was the, the, this can't go understated. The mental fortitude that Trevor Lawrence showed was unbelievable because even the best quarterbacks in NFL history, there are some of them that would have been rattled and failed to recover from a four interception to start half. Even if you get that touchdown going into half, zero touchdowns, four interceptions in, in one and a half quarters, for for probably 90% of quarterbacks to ever play the game would have been unrecoverable. And coming from an Aaron Rodgers watcher who crumbles after two interceptions in a single game, I could not agree with you anymore, David. Yeah, it just can't the the mental that that's the most impressive piece is the mental fortitude to not let it get to you and recover. I it just can't be understated. Um, I mean, the Jags defense really should be proud of themselves too, holding the Chargers to three points in the second half. And frankly, if it weren't for the interceptions in the first half, that game would have looked a whole lot different for the Jaguars as well. 
again, reiterating, I, Staley should be fired by the time this podcast airs. I, I don't, it, it's not that I don't like him. It's that as a head coach, it's, we've gotten to the point where it's just, he, he's not that. He's just not it. And, and the Chargers need to go in another direction, whether it be Sean Payton, whether it be one of these guys out there that's that's super desirable. That whole franchise is a desirable place to go. You've got pieces everywhere. You know, they were a little hurt and banged up this year. I get it. But regardless, they had enough talent to win more games than they did. They had enough talent to win this game, and they didn't. I attribute the loss more to the Chargers than the Jaguars to winning. Man, they kind of showed their hand because I like Eckler. I do. But they kind of showed what they've shown all season, which is they don't have a run game and they don't have a bell cow running back. And I say that because Eckler's fantastic as a, a receiving back, as a dual threat back. But I mean, 13 carries for 35 yards, even if you give him 20, that pace is trash. That efficiency is trash. It's been a similar story all year. He's had a couple games where he's gone off, but for the most part, it's like, Cincinnati and the Chargers have been like the two worst efficiency and overall running games in the NFL. And they have the two of the biggest names in the NFL in their backfield. You know, you should be able to run the clock out in the second half. A few heavy rushing drives is really all it should take, but they really couldn't get anything going in the run game. And that, that blows my mind. And even if you're relying on Herbert, even if he's taking up time and, in the passing game, like you throw any of, you know, throw Derrick Henry, throw Nick Chubb. And I get that those are like top tier, top tier bell cow backs, but you throw them in that offense and that second half probably looks a lot different. Even if Staley's making bad decisions in play calling, that second half looks a lot different with four and a half yards of carry from some big ass running back, just barreling forwards. Right. At the end of the day, you know, the Chargers are going to Chargers. Like, the Browns are going to Browns. Somehow they're going to, you know, ruin the game for themselves. But I just, at, at some point, it's got to be beyond just a pure disappointment of a franchise. Like, it's got to be on, at that point, it's got to be on Staley. I don't, like, I just don't know if you slot certain coaches into the Chargers franchise. I am confident this game goes in another direction. I'm confident the season goes in another direction. I, I just can't be, you know, this isn't the curse of the Bambino. Like it just can't be a curse. At some point we've just, we've not hired the right people to lead. I, I just kind of where I stand on it. And now you're not going to fire the right person to not lead. You know, we we were just talking about how great the head coaching circle is right now. Who are the, who, or who are the candidates that are out there? I mean, it feels like they've been openly flirting at least a little bit here. Sean Payton's been flirting. I don't know if they're if they're texting back after a slide in the DM, but the Sean Payton Chargers marriage looks real. Like, why are you going to take that risk? You know what you have with Staley. Is he really going to make a dramatic leap where it's gonna it's gonna catapult him to be way better than other coaches? No, you're not even going to be the best coach in your division ever. As long as Andy Reid's there. I mean, hell. So you got to make a you got to make a splash move like Sean Payton. I don't know what they're thinking overall. Keeping Brandon Staley, great D coordinator. I'm not going to sell anything short of what he can do with that defense because you got that defense playing well here. I just think the head coach is just not not for him. 
the run defense, all that's what his bread and butter is, and it was terrible. And that's the only thing that I'd be really alarmed with. I don't want to keep piling on with Brandon Staley, but I, I'm going to. And this is what I'm usually a stability guy. I don't like firing guys unless you need to fire guys because I do think stability helps a team. It helps you be confident. But there were two reasons that I think I would have pulled the trigger on letting Staley go. One of them being what happened last week. You play your starters in a meaningless game. You get Mike Williams hurt. This team this year, when Mike Williams or Keenan Allen, one or the other is hurt, the team looks terrible. They have not been good. The offense has been bad. When they are there, it looks like the Super Bowl contender we thought they could have been. Instead, you don't have Mike Williams in there yesterday. There were a couple times that that directly impacted the game. That jet sweep, I heard Mark Sessler talking about around the NFL. That is a play that goes to Mike Williams on third and one. Instead, it goes to a guy that didn't even realize he was going to get the ball on the audible. That is coaching. Then, again, we love to complain about his overaggressive nature. But at the end of the day, you have to stay true to who you are and what your team's identity is. And the moment that I think that you could tell he has kind of almost turtled in the big moment, inside the 10 field goals, you had the fourth and three with 10 minutes to go in this game where you miss a a field goal kick after he calls timeout. That is, you cannot convince me, a place that he goes for it more often than not. And I think all the talking heads got into his own head. And if you can't filter that out and stay true to who you are, you have to get rid of that coach. You you, you can't have that wishy-washy nonsense. I, I will say we have to give a ton of credit to the Jaguars because comebacks like this happen for two reasons. Yes, the Chargers blew it, but the Jaguars have to go and win that game too. And Trevor Lawrence did that. And we all made fun of the Jaguars in March last year when they had Christian Kirk, when Zay Jones, they're signing these guys to these massive tickets. We had no idea what they were doing. No one else was offering. What happened in this game? Evan Ingram's another one. Instead, Marvin Jones, uh, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and Evan Ingram all had a touchdown in the fourth or in uh, the comeback effort. All of these guys directly related to that. And Doug, and you got to say too, Doug Peterson, you go from one of the worst coaches ever in Urban Meyer, you followed up with one of the best coaching hires that I can remember. It's going to save Trevor Lawrence probably from being broken the way it looked like he possibly could have been even early this season. It's just just a, a tale of a one head coach doing everything right. And it feels like the other one just doing everything wrong. And even better now, Doug Marone, Doug Marone. Why do I always say that? I'm not that far off. He was the coach at one point. Dougie Peterson now gets to take up his, his Jags to his mentor, Andy Reed next week. You can't write a script like that. Jags Duval upset. I tell you what, that AFC division round matchups, juicy, very, very juicy. And there's no reason to think that Trevor Lawrence can't ball out and at the very least give Kansas City a scare at home. Buffalo got a scare at home, though. They played the Miami Dolphins. And I tell you what, I was so wrong in this game. I thought the Bills were going to win by 154. 
And instead, and it felt like it was going to go that way until it was 17 to nothing. Naturally, David sends a text. He was just like, hey. Exactly. Until David started talking. Yeah, well, hey, you know, the Bill's going to win by a million. I shouldn't have bet it. Go figure. We get a hell of a game out of it. I don't even know where to start in this game because I truly think that had the Bills faced off against any of the other teams in the AFC playoffs, they aren't going to win yesterday. But then on the other side, I'm also reminded divisional matchups are just always a tricky, uncomfortable, weird thing. So, yeah, Josh Allen turned it over three times on Sunday, had two or three fumbles on top of his two picks. Luckily, they recovered two of them. That's what I want to talk to you guys about first. How concerned are we with Josh Allen? He's had 30 turnovers this year. He makes these incredible plays, but you can't exactly get away with two or three turnovers against Cincinnati or Kansas City. And he's been doing it in the red zone for the majority of this year, which is bad. I, uh, If it wasn't last week, maybe, maybe it was if he had a turnover in the end zone. I can't keep up because he does it every week, it seems like. So I just simply can't keep up. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a huge question mark with, yeah, you're, gonna, you're having some defensive players miss. he's going to be the deciding factors in games like this. We can't have you turn the ball over and we're going to get into it here a little bit, but even if they're playing any other, I would even go as far as any other team. If two was playing in this game, Miami is winning the game. The dolphins had to settle for early field goals here that made, made it from a 17 0 to a 17 six. I think they easily could have at one point or sorry, three field goals at one point, they could have been up 21 17 in this game, I believe. So for them not to have that, it's bad. And, and Josh is every time it seems like the Bills are ready to just pull away if it's early or if it's late. It's like Josh Allen's like, hold up, hold up. Remember how fun it was in that dramatic game against the Chiefs last year, even though we lost? Let's keep having that energy, except we win them. It's like he's trying to make up for for lost energy because of last game or because of last year. It's looking bad. It's looking really bad right now if he keeps this play up. I mean, to both your point, this was like the full – Josh Allen experience, right? This was, you know, six big time throws, three turnovers, took seven sacks, multiple big runs with his legs and big first downs, threw some, you know, wild plays, both good and bad. I I mean, he's directly responsible for allowing Miami to come back from down 17-0 and really stay in the game from there on forward. I think something to take note of going forward is their right tackle Spencer Brown allowed seven pressures single-handedly in that game now I know Miami has a pretty good defensive line I get it but it's the fourth time in 15 games that he's allowed six plus pressures like that's that's alarming right that's bad offensive tackle now I don't think that's going to be the reason the Bills lose by any means but you know, that could be a, a very real reason why Josh Allen might throw another bad timing interception at some point in this playoffs, whether it be next round, the round after, right? Like allowing that kind of pressure off the, the right edge is, I mean, that's like a dangerous, that's a dangerous thing to be, to be bad at, right? Like you want your tackles to be the anchors of your line, as weird as that sounds. I it's something to to keep in mind going forward. I just the one thing that that Josh Allen, the more we watch him play, the more I'm like, this is kind of like Eli Manning with legs, 
I, it's like, I, I'm, he's probably better than Eli Manning was ever at his peak. And that might be a hot take, but I don't think it's so. It's kind of like, we're watching Eli Manning fumbled a lot. He threw a lot of interceptions, but at the end of the day, he finished every season with like, you know, 3,500 yards, 25 plus touchdowns. I just like, you know, his team was always in the playoffs. I, they were either horrific or they were in the playoffs. I mean, that might, Josh Allen's probably going to have a different kind of career than that, but it just kind of feels like we're turning the ball over at an alarming rate. And 15 years from now, we're going to watch Josh Allen break the turnover record for quarterbacks. I'm not super concerned, but it's like, it's what you're getting with Josh Allen. You're getting the, the ceiling of elite and the floor of one of, you know, a, a guy that's going to turn the ball over and lose you games. And the Josh Allen experiences, you get like these roller coasters of both throughout a game. But then on the other side is we'll get some streaks there where a couple games going where he's one or the other. And I just can't like, you can't put a finger on it. And it's weird. It's just weird. I, I just, we're going to see a lot more next year, right? Like this is, we've seen a little bit of everything so far and next year, if he plays more like this year, then, then great. Now we know what we have, which is exactly what we've been talking about. But if he goes back to how he was playing last year, then, or was last year's MVP year? No, the year before that was his MVP year. Right. I don't even remember anymore. Quote unquote MVP. But like, I just, you know, we're, it's going to be interesting because the more we go forward, the more you're going to pin out exactly who he is. But all that being said, on the other side of the football, the Dolphins, I mean, they played their hearts out. I just, you can't overcome bad quarterback play. And, and I get, he's a third stringer. I get, he's not prepared. I get, you know, this is, this is not where they wanted to be, but man, throwing him 45 fucking times. I I just 18 of 45, two interceptions, multiple delay of games, four sacks taken one touchdown. I just, the stat line of, of Skyler alone shows why it's like almost a miracle. The dolphins were even in that game. And I get, he had some, some good plays here or there, but like overall it was just bad. And honestly, from pretty much the, the, like midway through the second quarter on, I just kind of felt like if either Tua or Bridgewater were healthy, the Dolphins would have won that game. And I, like, I, I get that's probably not the way to think, but it just, I don't know, it just felt like if if you got good, even average quarterback play from the Dolphins, they might have actually done a lot better. And I get there were drops from receivers. I get, I get all of like the whole picture. It just, it just felt like, man, if Tua wasn't brain damaged or if Teddy Bridgewater didn't have a hurt pinky, we might have actually seen a Dolphins upset. But I don't know. It's just a tough way to go out for the Dolphins because I I really truly believe that that's a that's a with a with good, healthy quarterback play for 17 games, that is a 10, 11 win team. And even next year, it's a it's a deadly playoff team. I agree, but I want to kind of challenge the fact of like taking that step back. I would argue, I think that Skyler didn't he did just enough job. I think the fact of burning the timeouts because of the delay of games that they were going to take early on. I mean, they burned he burned a first quarter timeout on their first drive because of it, and I it just forgot never, about that. Yeah. And it just never got better. And this is, and you can, you blame coaching. 
This dude has started NFL games this year. This wasn't a third stringer they're fucking rolling out. He he played two. He's played back-to-back weeks. So th- there, there has to be some sort of disconnection, and you can't blame, oh, crowd noise. You can't fucking see straight now? Well, actually, I guess that is kind of a side effect of really loud, loud noises. But it's like, come on, dude. You know what it is. Mike McDaniel's over here saying that he got conflicting calls that one of the plays was a first down that ended up being a fourth down. I mean, he's ripping his vape over here, not getting enough, not giving himself enough time to get the call in. I mean, I think that he did enough. And I'm the drops early on, it doesn't matter because the drops early on, he, they were still in this game. With the if they if they nail those drops, yeah, in theory, on paper, they they could win this game, or he could fucking fumble the next the next play, or maybe he has three interceptions instead of two because of the next play. Who knows? But Mike McDaniel's on a guy who's on quote unquote in a hot seat for if they didn't make the division or if they didn't win to make it in the playoffs or win in a playoff game. How how is it not hot right now? But you take that aside, Mike McDaniels had his, had his boys playing. The Bills outgained the Dolphins by 200-plus yards, and this was a one-possession game. This was a field-goal game. So it's upsetting for Mike McDaniels. He was that close and really kind of just showing, hey, third time, third time's going to be a charm for us, or I guess the third matchup really is going to be that difficult. He wasted it, and it showed there because they didn't pick up a fourth and six, which was a fourth and one that got pushed back because of delay of game. They didn't pick it up. There was like two and a half minutes left in that game, but no timeouts cost so pro- it cost so much. And here we are again, the three fat idiots yelling out a microphone, talking about clock management, like we've coached in the NFL. Yet these NFL coaches that have done it for years can't simply grasp it. There was definitely a lot of issues with the plays getting in in time. I definitely do think a lot of that falls on McDaniel. I agree, but it, it wasn't happening all year. And that's where I get like frustrated watching too. Cause I'm sure a lot of that was trying to relay this to a seventh round rookie and what has been only a, one is third, fourth start in his career. That makes it difficult, especially in an environment like that. I also just, I, I felt like his stat line was a little unfair to him too. He wasn't good. But I don't think that he was the atrocity that his stats kind of show that. The drops, I know you mentioned, David, but like Jalen Waddle, that first one on the opening series where you take a shot down the field and you really feel like that could give you a little bit of momentum on offense, a little belief in the team, and it's dropped. He gets hurt, and he's not the same all game. Tyreek Hill was held in check. It's really remarkable that the Dolphins were able to keep this close. It goes to the Josh Allen turnovers. It goes to the fact that, I, I mean, this was the longest game of all time. 16 freaking drives for the Bills. That, that unbelievable. Like, we'll get into the Bengals game later. They had eight and nine. That's how different, like, the approaches you would have thought shortening the game would have helped Miami. Instead, the longer it went, it felt like he was actually doing them favors. But for the Bills, I mean, Josh Allen, David, you talked about him possibly breaking a turnover record down the road. And I'm happy you even said that because Steven, does he not just feel like Brett Favre ish? Like I wanted to say that. Blood. I wanted to say that, but I felt like it's too much. I think Dave, I think it's such a closer comparison to Eli Manning, but if you want to like throw the interceptions this year, absolutely. I'm a thousand more athletic freak running wise than what Brett Favre is, but you could argue that 
Now he has a defense that Brett Favre never, never had there. So he can sling the ball, but that doesn't matter. We're in the NFL nowadays where there's so many, I just feel like the play calling and the schematics are just so more advanced and people are so much more sold into them. It doesn't matter. Like, look at what the shit, nothing special that Shanahan is doing up in San Fran, but he does have the talent and no one can fuck with that system. It's almost like Jim Bayheim in his two in his two, three zone. It's so easy to beat than fucking do it in the tournament, even though they don't really have anything, but that's what they cause it. It's just one of those. So yeah, he, he's a more athletic Brett Favre. And also right. just, you know, not stealing money from broke people in Mississippi as well, which is nice. That's twice today. That's nice. Yeah. Um, now, I like the Brett Favre comparison for his arm, right? But, like, when you look at the fumbles, which is, like, really where, all, like, a lot of his turnovers come from, there's nobody who fumbled for no reason more than Eli Manning. I, I mean, like, I, it's where I lean towards. It's where I lean towards Eli over Brett because I, I just, like, you know, Eli fumbled the ball a lot. Like he turned the ball over a lot in general, but he fumbled a lot, which is why I lean more towards that comparison. My more or less reason I'm bringing up Brett Favre is unlike Eli Manning, who I will die on the hill that his teams helped him more than almost any quarterback that I can remember a legacy being helped by the team around them. Brett Favre was boom or bust where you get the Kansas City Chief Josh Allen. Brett Favre had games like that. He's making throws no one else can make. But then you're going to have the 9-6 Jaguar game Josh Allen too. And that, like there's a volatile quarterbacking that I haven't really remembered at such a high level since Brett Favre. And I, I, I want to go back to You brought up Spencer Brown on, on the right side. Next week, that matchup with the Bengals is going to be fascinating. Because both offensive lines now all of a sudden are in shambles. The Bengals look like 2021 Bengals again. And the Bills have their own problems. You're going to see Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard. You're going to see the other side. You're going to go down to Greg Rousseau. You're going to have Jordan Phillips, Ed Oliver. I guess Jordan Phillips is out right now. But you guys get what I'm saying. You're going to have a ton of pressure on the quarterbacks. It makes you happy that we got this matchup. But it also makes me a little sad. Because once you get to this stage of the season... These aren't the same teams that we saw in October, and that always happens. And it's just unfortunate. It's the nature of the beast, they say. But, oh, well, the dolphin season goes up in vape smoke. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, there's a video circulating that it looks like Mike McDaniels is. And that's somebody who rips the vape and does it at work and have to hide it every now and again. That's the move. And you have the black tip with the black gloves. That is not his first rodeo ripping that thing on the sideline. He must have gotten chewed out there in California when, when McVay or uh, Shanahan was like, "No, you can't be doing that, man." It's cool. It's cool. It's weed. <laughs> oh God! All right. Well, let's get going then to the four o'clock game yesterday. The G men go to Minneapolis, and the Vikings, who were eleven and zero in one score games this season lose a one score game in the playoffs viking fans just have to think this is just more of the same i love it i love it uh packers twitter has been hilarious because there's been a lot of shit talking with them when the division here uh my favorite tweet that i get to see every year is that the minnesota vikings hate the packers so much that they won't even win a lombardi trophy that is my all-time favorite tweet that i get to see every single year uh the the frauds 
Um, we've all been calling it. I think David's been on it since probably week two. So kudos to you. And it finally, after all this time, you can you can finally pat yourself on the back because it it finally happened. The Danny Dimes game. This dude was balling. I know I was saying Danny Dimes needs to have a game because of how porous this Minnesota defense is, but my God, three, 379 total yards, 301 in the air, 78 here uh, and rushing, which seems like he got it all on that like second or third drive of the game. The dude was allergic to staying in the pocket. Also, fun fact, uh, the his rushing total was over like 38 and a half. He got it within like three runs. So I am stupid for not putting my mortgage on it, but that's that's neither here nor there. Saquon adding 109 total yards, two touchdowns. Stop me if you've heard this before, because I know you're not going to stop me because you haven't heard this. The Giants passing offense had their way with Minnesota. With all the stats about, I think it was like halfway through the year where they didn't even have a receiver over 200 yards. Kenny Galladay's coming into the game and blocking, run blocking. I'm hearing himself some more snaps here. I do want to point this out before I let it, um, before we flip it over to the Vikings and we can toss it over to you guys. Danny Dimes has had seven such games that he's had 300 plus passing yards in. This year he had three of them. Two of those were against the Minnesota Vikings. Yeesh, Kevin O'Connell, get your shit together, brother. This ain't Los Angeles anymore. It, it was really the movable force meets the stoppable object. And unfortunately for the movable force, the stoppable object won in this. The offense was all but unstoppable. They had 10 or seven 10 plus yard plays on the first two drives alone. The Giants really had their way. And we should have known that going in. This Vikings defense is so bad. One of my favorite stats that came out of this year, we talk about the point differential. That's a, a lot of fun too. But the Vikings, they went 13 and four. Their team DVOA was 27th that is basically saying that this 13 and 4 team should be picking in the top 10 that is how fortunate they were this year to win the games that they were winning it won't happen again and it's scary what worries me or what I feel bad for is that Kirk Cousins actually was solid in this game but what's going to be the lasting effect or the lasting memory of the game? But on fourth and eight, Kirk Cousins throws a three-yard dump off to TJ Hawkinson in the flat, gets tackled right there, and the game is over. What in the world are we doing? Justin Jefferson it was getting doubled all day, bracketed. He was all but shut down. He had seven catches, but less than 50 yards. I understand. But – how are we not scheming up something for Justin Jefferson on fourth and eight? Instead, we're trusting a tight end who's got a little shift, but he's a tight end to make a guy miss in the flats. I, I just talk about a head scratching way for a season end. You don't even have to scheme Justin Jefferson. You could scheme Hawkinson. Like why are, why is anyone running short of the sticks? There should be nobody running short of the sticks. And Hawkinson was doing that for the majority of the game. I don't think like a lot of the pat like there was a good amount of his catches were down the field, but there was a couple that he just kind of let him do his thing. So I get it. But fourth and eight in this situation, when your season's on the line, and to your point, Wally, that's what I kept saying. Justin Jefferson had seven catches for 47 yards. He had 37 of those yards in the first quarter, 10 yards. This dude wasn't even targeted in the fourth quarter. This dude was easily your, your team MVP. 
and you're not getting him the rock. Uh, some some me, people thought that he was going to get MVP votes overall. Yeah, there's a lot of people clamoring for him to get the MVP vote. I have a really weird question for you guys. Um, out of the 100,000 receptions that Cooper Cup la- caught last year, you ever think he was double covered? You think he was just single covered the whole entire fucking game? Think Devontae Adams is single covered in his games? Do you think all these top guys are single covered? No, that's not an excuse. Scheme them up. Kevin O'Connell, you schemed up. That's why he was hired too. Like what? That was the whole point of why he was hired. The only point you were hired to fix Kirk Cousins so we can pass the ball down the field and then we can utilize Dalvin Cook. We'll deal with the defense. They have, they have that offense enough. They have a good enough offense where they, yes, the defense can be the Achilles heel, but you're able to put up numbers. Hawk had a great game. He has been probably outside of Christian McCaffrey, the best, mid-season acquisition here just mostly because there really wasn't a lot this year but you had over 500 yards in minnesota put him over 600 yards with this I want to say six or seven touchdowns that to added with that so he clearly was a factor but now you're overusing him and hell what what about this little guy called adam Thielen? what about him what about overliable i don't know man i've never i've never bitched about something that i loved more i guess i like to watch minnesota suffer here but here's another thing too Something that I want to put that grinds that grinds my gears as a pet peeve, running trick plays in the first quarter of a game. For instance, third and one, we're going to run a trick play where we hand it to Justin Jefferson and then he throws it back to Kirk Cousins on third and one in the first quarter of a playoff game. Why do they – I hate, hate running trick plays. If, for, first and 20, oh, let's get a flea flicker. Why? It's the first fucking drive, dude. Let's settle in. Let's wait till this actually means something in it and it's something on the line. Not because, fuck it, let's get 15 quick yards. Stop it. Stop getting cute. You have the best playmaker in football this year. Get him the fucking rock, Kevin O'Connell. A lot easier said than done. But here we are being the three fat idiots yelling into a mic again. I have a hard time believing that O'Connell didn't at least try to scheme Justin Jefferson open. I just, I want to, I think the Giants put on a masterclass on how to give him short yards and and who cares how many receptions he has. You can take all the three-yard catches you want. Like, I do think there's some masterclass to, to playing defense like that. And I get, like, you know, to Steven's point, what do we think that didn't happen to Cooper Cup? The, the difference with Cooper Cup is, is Cooper Cup's the greatest slot receiver in football. He gets put on the outside, but he also adjusts inside. And Justin Jefferson could probably do that with ease. But, like, you know, I, I just think there's a, there's some subtle differences there. And on QB, Matt Stafford has been known as a gunslinger's whole career. When he had Megatron, all he did was just throw it his way, triple coverage or not. And, and sure, you could make that argument like Kirk needs to do that, but he's never done that in his career. He's always made, like, the smart throws, not necessarily, like, the necessary ones. I don't know. I, I I think we all I don't I hate to harp on it over and over, but I think we just knew this was gonna happen. The Vikings absurd luck of one score games where they were like, I don't know, twelve and one. Eleven and oh. Eleven and oh. Yeah. It just ran out. Like it's it's what we knew they were. They were frauds. And you know, to Steve, like we've brought it up. Daniel Jones played out of his mind. I don't know. I just I think it was a great overall performance from the Giants. It's the reason I think they were like an absurd, like 15 and 
three against the spread this year because they just do, you know, they're always counted out, but they always do just enough to stay in it. Just a great all overall performance. Unfortunately, it's it's for nothing because they're going to get absolutely demolished by whoever they play next. But just a great team win for the Giants. Great building block for the offseason. They're a team that can go out and fill holes in the draft and in free agency that don't have to be flashy, but can make them a, a really good team next year. Wait, aren't the Giants playing the Eagles? That third divisional matchup, David. Uh-oh. That's, I don't care. They're going to get fucking walloped. They're you know, you know what that means. You know what that means. You're right. They're probably going to win. Money line. Line's already at plus seven and a half, but that's for Thursday's episode. O'Connell was hired to get Justin Jefferson the ball. He failed on this one. But then Brian Dayball, talk about a guy that should be very much in the coach of the year talks. He did, you want to talk about master class. What he was able to scheme up in this game, knowing what the Vikings' pass defense was, it bought Saquon Barkley, you'd imagine, a little bit more health, too, only having 14 touches in this game. And what happened when he had the 14 touches? He looked healthy and he looked explosive. He was running mean. And watching Daniel Jones, the way they called that first half and being able to have those design quarterback sweeps, and they stopped as soon as they adjusted. It, it was just, you don't see it. Usually you see coaches bang their head against the wall and say, well, this was the game plan. We have to stick to the game plan. When the Vikings took Daniel Jones' legs away in the second half, they went to the air, and Daniel Jones was able to, with a hodgepodge group of wide receivers, dominate a very overwhelmed Minnesota defense and one that desperately needs to get overhauled this offseason. Oh, by the way, Question before we move on. We need, in the the worst way, for the NFL to address the roughing the passer rule in the offseason. Ball yeah, don't I'm... lie. And thank God that that game ended that way. But Dexter Lawrence getting one of the worst roughing the passer calls ever to, that honestly could have cost the Giants a season. And that really, really got under my skin. I mean, it's it's classic NFL. They they overcorrect in one direction and you know ruin it just as badly as if they didn't correct at all. And I, I don't I just don't trust the NFL to make rules anymore because they don't even think about like for starters, they need to like somehow, you know, hold the referees accountable, but also in doing that, they need to entrust them to make just smart plays, not just here are the new rules. You emphasize these letter of the law, whatever it's here are rules. Here are general guidelines. You need to make a smart decision. And when you don't, we're going to hold you accountable in this way and not just send a letter to the team. Like, yeah, Hey, they got that one wrong, but we'll see you next year. <laughs> you know, like I, I just, it's gotten to a point where I'm tired of, of referees not being held to the fire. Like it's okay to make bad decisions. It's okay to be wrong, but like, are we growing from it? And are we acknowledging it was wrong in the present? And what are we doing to correct that and grow from it? Right? Like what, like there's gotta be a step forward. It can't just be like, ah, oh, you know, they got that one wrong. Our bad. See you next year. 
Well, the thing that kills me too is you saw in the Jacksonville game, and I can't believe that we forgot to bring it up, but Joey Bosa threw a temper tantrum, and that's what everybody's focused on. And he was wrong to throw a temper tantrum. But at the same point in his post-game interview, he said some things I really agreed with, talking about referees don't have the accountability. I'm going to get fined for speaking out. That ref's going to cost us a season because they don't call an obvious false start or an obvious holding penalty. And they're going to just get the co- or what go and ref next week, another game. And I'm going to have a $40,000 fine on my front like step. I, I just, that is a huge problem. This earlier in the year, the Raiders chiefs game, that roughing the passer, the refs got so afraid because they butchered the call so bad. They didn't call a call the rest of the game on Kansas city. They overcompensated so hard that it actually screwed the Raiders. We wish that there wasn't a roughing the passer call. So it's just, like the expedited review, we need to do more of it. I I agree. There needs to be more like in game review of just controversial calls. But at the same time, the NFL needs to do something. Even if you're not going to do it by game, you need to at the end of the season. You need to be like, here are all the calls that these refs got wrong by percentage of calls they made, and be like, you know, this guy's at this guy's Angel Hernandez at like forty nine percent. Like you're not refing a playoff game. You're just not, you're not, you're done. You're not, you know, we're going to reevaluate. We're going to do whatever. And I get that maybe you can't fire him because of the union. I get it. But like at the same time, and you'd be like, you know what? You're just done. You're not refing the playoffs. Here's, here is statistical analysis that says you are the worst ref in terms of getting calls right the first time around. And so like, we're not throwing you into the playoffs. And then, and, and maybe there aren't enough referees to make that work. But something needs to happen. Something need you need to hold them accountable, whether it be game by game or just at the end of the season. Here, you've you've screwed up so many times. You're not getting any primetime games next year. You're not getting the playoffs. You're not getting shit. And go from there. They need to have a PFF for refs. Point blank. Where's your positioning? Are your knees bent? How did you attack the gap in this particular call? Did you get out of the way of the running back? But no, seriously, they need to have some sort of, I know the NBA does it, or I know the, and I believe the NFL does it where it's like the, the final two minute report for the NBA, where they kind of break down if the call was correct, if it was a game changing call, this, that, the other, they need to have that each game, each week for the NFL. I mean, I, that's only right because the accountability is the biggest thing here. And how could you not agree with Joey Bosa? These guys just, just get to go back out again. Here we go again. I don't know how I'm dropping this for the second time, but they're the meteorologist profession. They could be wrong, but fucking I'm, I'm back on the field next week and I'm going to do it again. I think the only, and I was kind of a, I was against this in the, in the past, but maybe we get some different colored flags for a game changing challenge. We need to stop having these potentially hor- the, the bad calls, wrong calls, changing the trajectory of these games because that's the number one thing that we don't want if the wrong call is going to change what the result of this game is going to be everyone knows the first game that pops up is the new orleans saints la rams game of the phantom pi call that they never called we have to be able to challenge these plays to see if they're they are actually egregious enough where you know what yeah this was or the refs get to walk it back you know what that, that wasn't passing or that wasn't roughing the passer based off x y and z criteria I, something like that. I heard something again I uh, on around the NFL earlier that I thought was a really good idea where you saw a lot this weekend more than we saw 
all regular season, the expedited review where they call down and say, hey, he was half a yard short, just move the ball back. And then they keep going. It's that fast. It should be that easy that they throw that rough in the passer on Dexter Lawrence. It should take two seconds for that guy in the video booth to say, pick up the flag, let's move on. Not pass interference or not rough in the passer. It's that easy. I think that's going to be way better than the idea that I have and considering it's already there. But yeah, that's something I, I forgot to bring up or I wanted to is, yeah, the expedited reviews. We saw it in the bowl games. They were awesome. It was in a timely manner. We don't need to have these reviews or challenges take up that much time. How many reps do we have inside of a booth? Like we need to have this down, right? This should be part of the training or, or maybe that's your next step up is once you're done here, then you go inside the booth. They need to continually have this and grow this to be better. So that's where you're going to get the game, and that's how you're going to make it the most even. Yes, people are going to complain about the refs, but at least we, this way we can bitch about the right call instead of bitching about the call that never happened. We can bitch about the play instead of the call for once. Well, to your point, how, how fucking hard would it be to hire former referees to sit in the booth who know the rules and you can make sure they maintain their knowledge of the rules with you know training, whatever you need? How hard would it be to do the expedi- like expedited reviews? have it be former i mean gene savitore whoever i get to listen to every time some stupid thing happens and 90 percent of the time he's right watching the replay it's like i how hard is it to get a guy like that that just sits and watch the game who's gonna watch it anyways when he's you know consulting on these on these broadcasts like how hard is it to pay that guy to be like hey watch the game you see something that that maybe they got wrong like call down pull it up. Like, let's, let's figure this out the right way. I'm so tired of it. I'm just so tired of bad refereeing and it not being called out in the moment. Well, that's the problem. I think it does get called out too much, but you know, to Joey Bosa's point, they're getting fine. The only thing that, well, with Gene Steratore, Stellator, Skeletor, whatever the hell his name is. Yeah. Those guys that good, that've been doing the profession that long, they don't even need to watch the replay. There's like, yep, there's a whole thing. There's this, there's that, there's this. They are so anal when it comes to, cause that's what, that's the game that they had a ref, especially with those older guys. If you have somebody that's even from the early two thousands, that's still around the game has changed so much, but they're so meticulous and just close attention to detail. that these guys are going to be able to get it just simply watching it. Oh, and also mention there's like 30,000 fucking cameras on the field. There's every angle from it. There's a POV. Here's from the back. Here's from the side. Here's from the back judge. Here's from the goal line. Here's the fucking sky cam. Here's the Fox cameras. There's cameras everywhere. There's got no the Brazzers cam. Yeah, you got the bang buses rolling around the streets back there. This guy gets it. Thank you. I, I'm finally someone's talking language I can understand. Thank you, Steven. We got to tell everybody at home, it's actually 8.15 right now. So we're going to go and finish the Bengals game. And then we're going to get on our way and watch some Tampa Bay Dallas. So let's move on to the Baltimore and Cincinnati game right now. We're similarly to the Buffalo Bills. The Bengals had a fight many people around the country was not expecting. And it just goes to show AFC North football is no joke. David, you know all about that. The Ravens defense. From the Roquan Smith acquisition on was so much better than they were at the start of the year. Huge, huge, huge props to Mike McDonald about that. Defensive coordinator with the Ravens has done a terrific job. Bengals, it was 17-17, about 12 minutes left. And for whatever reason, the Ravens call a quarterback sneak from about 
a yard and a half, two yards out, and sends six foot one, under 200 pound Tyler Huntley leaping up. And guess who? But Logan Wilson knocks the ball out. Sam Hubbard catches it and returns it 98 yards. One of the one of those moments you know you'll see replayed for 20 or 30 years. And if you're a Ravens fan, it's got to piss you off because you have to feel like that was a game that was right for you to take. I, I don't even know where to start, David, because you and I are not Lamar Jackson fans. How the hell was he not even in the building for this game? I, I don't even, this was just dysfunction at all levels. It feels like the Ravens probably, or at least in my opinion, probably have seen the last of Lamar Jackson in a Ravens uniform. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, I it's just so disrespectful for Lamar not to show up. If you can walk, if you can, like, if you're not stuck in a hospital bed, you show up to that fucking game. Like, I don't, I do not care what your injury is. If you're not in a hospital bed, you show up to the fucking game. And even if you're sitting in a booth, even it, like, I, you you show up to the goddamn game. And to your point, it, I, it just. If to your point, it just feels like it's the last time he plays for the Ravens. I do think the Ravens are going to tag him and make him, you know, be the asshole that doesn't show up. And it, frankly, they're going to have to tag him to get any kind of value out of him. I wanted all of this dysfunction, but it's also shocking that it's actually happening because the Ravens are a fairly well-run organization. So for this to be happening under their watch is kind of surprising. And then more so, I don't, here's the thing. I don't think Lamar Jackson did himself any justice by not showing up to that game. Like uh, he's going to get, he's going to play. He's going to get a big contract. Nobody's going to hesitate giving him it. But like, for me as a team, I'm like, if they tag him, do I want to give up a significant amount of assets for a guy who, you know, if this were to happen, if there were dysfunction in any way, he's, he's going to pull off shit like this, right? Like, still going to happen, but it's going to make teams think twice, especially in a game where, where if he was there and if he had, if he had made a better decision, it, that was a game that felt like if the Ravens had Lamar Jackson, they probably would have won and it would have been a different outcome. It it just feels weird. And at the end, it was bad coaching. Like, I don't, I don't even want to say that if Lamar Jackson played, they for sure would have won because at the end of the game did not, to not hand the ball off to J.K. Dobbins, who's having a, a a career playoff game, and to run a QB sneak to Huntley when you're you know you're not an inch from the goal line, I just it's so odd and and it was obviously the game changing the the decade long replay to your point Wally that you're gonna see I just there was a lot that made me question everything the Ravens do. It's inexcusable why Lamar Jackson wasn't there. Moral of the story, that is a very, very bad look. And you can bet your ass that no matter what the dysfunction is, the top five to ten quarterbacks in the NFL are at that game in the same situation. I feel bad because it's not like Taylor Huntley played horribly, but now that that's the only play that people are going to remind them or be remembered of. And let's put this in perspective. Baltimore's defense actually decided that they wanted to play football. They held Joe Burrow to 209 yards, touchdown, sacked four times. Sorry if I'm repeating you guys here. But then Baltimore also outgained Cincinnati by 130 yards. So this was all but Baltimore's game 
to lose, it felt like. And all of a sudden, here comes Mr. Hubbard, the Ohio man himself, coming in clutch. And, yeah, this is this is bad. If you guys didn't, and I hope you guys didn't talk about this, the Hubbard play. Go back and watch it because you guys may have been too fixated on, on Sam Hubbard running this ball in. Look at Gus Edwards. Oh, whoa. watch what, what about Gus Edwards? What, go watch that. Watch Gus, Gus Edwards. Get I thought you were going to talk about the, the the freaking block in the back that I kind of thought was a little soft to begin with. Block in the happy, back. I'm happy to call it. I am too, but those are easily calls that, that they throw the mm. flag on, which I thought mm. they do. Come on. It's, it's that bullshit play that people always throw the flags on. Man, it would have been soft. With the way the refs have been throwing the flags here or lack thereof, depending on what game, I'm not going to be surprised. Go go look at that replay. Gus Edwards is just happily jogging. Mark Andrews giving it a full sprint. And then JK's just or uh, Gus Edwards just out of the picture. Piss poor, dude. For a guy I who's just rewatched it. I just rewatched it. It's real bad. How, I didn't even notice how Gus Edwards. Bad that's a, is that? That's a jog. That's a oh, he's gone. I can't catch up. That's oh, bad. That's, that's a, so that's like bad. That's I almost the cut And I was like, who the fuck is 35? Because if I was him, I if I was a coach, my I would I need a wheelchair because I'd break both my feet off his, in his ass. Just so classless for a guy who was getting a lot of touches because of the injuries that they had in the running back position. You've got to lay it on the line. And someone like a, Ken, a Kenyon Drake who lost snaps to this dude he has got to be sitting there pissed off. When you see plays like DK Metcalf track down Buda Baker, like, look at this, dude. What the hell are you doing, Gus Edwards? I'd want him cut. You and Brandon Staley, both on the same plane, go fucking join Cliff Kingsbury in, in Thailand on a one-way ticket. You know That's what? a cuttable moment. That's a cuttable play. If I saw that, if I'm re-watching that clip in the film room, I'm looking directly at him and going, we don't need your services anymore. Like, if you don't want to play for the team in the biggest moment, you're out because like to your point, Steven, there are plenty of examples of just pure heart chase downs like DK Metcalf, who, you know, throw him away because he's an Olympic sprinter. Like, let's just throw that away. Who was it? Ben Watson, who tracked down a player got like a decade ago on a 99 yard return and stopped him from scoring. Like, guys, if you have the heart, you can make that chase down. You know what? It I'm not here for of. the business decision. Teddy Bridgewater last year when I was fucking flipping out on him about it. You know what? It, it it literally reminds me of is when we would be playing football and at practice at the end you had to run sprints and you do the I swear I'm I'm sprinting my hardest, coach, and you like do just enough where it's like, all right, he, he's trying enough. I can't yell at him. Except this is a playoff game and you are a running back losing ground to a 270 pound defensive end that is great catch steven i did not see and we're that. not even we're not even talking about a uh like Jadavian Clowney or miles garrett who are just god-given athletic we're yeah. talking about like a a, a god-given athlete but not in like the speed and quickness god-given athlete way no, I, I, that is just some kind of brutal. I, wow, I'm happy you saw that. I, I won't be able to watch that play the same anymore. Um, <laughs> it's, it's all I see, and, and I saw it. And then when I, I kept seeing the replays because NFL Network was on all day on the TV, and I saw it, and I was like, dude, I would be freaking out. I'm trying to pull up Gus Edwards' 40 time right now. It looks like 
four five. Sam Hubbard forty time. While you're four looking, nine. I was gonna say while you're looking that up, he I, I heard. Oh God, where did I hear it? He ran something like his fastest time in NFL game at like seventeen something miles per hour. Mark Andrews was over twenty. You can't convince me that Gus Edwards isn't 21, 22 miles an hour being able to catch up to him. That was just dogging it at all levels. All dogs don't go to heaven in this case. If I'm a Ravens fan, I I would just be wanting that dude's head on a stick. Is it going to change the game? Maybe. Maybe Joe Bur- The way their offense well? was playing, it absolutely could have changed the game. That's why it's it's so baffling to me. And you know, as somebody who, you know, I think I can speak for all of us here. Well, not peak Wally, but running really isn't our thing. So I, maybe we, maybe it's kind of the pot calling the kettle black here. But come uh, on, God peak Wally. That was a while ago. Any, anyways, cu- a couple, couple thoughts here. I, I, I have to get my two cents in this game here. We mentioned before the Jonah Williams injury. That's three straight weeks that the Bengals have lost a starter on the offensive line. It makes the not signing a willing Andrew Whitworth just feel that much more head scratching. Does I don't know why they wouldn't have brought him in. It feels like last year all over again. And last year it, it took a lot of luck and a lot of fortunate play from Joe, Joe Burrow to get past a Tennessee Titans team that is nowhere as talented as the Buffalo Bills team that they'll be playing this next week. So that is a big loss and it sucks for Bengals fans that Felt all year that they'd finally fixed the offensive line. It just proves that it, it takes a little longer. They're going to have to get more depth, too. I mentioned also in the Bills game that they had 16 drives for one team. This game had 17 drives total. That's the recipe for the Ravens, and they played it to perfection. Bengals, eight drives, only to 234 yards. And they, you did turn it over in the Hayden Hurst fumble, too. This couldn't have been more of a transcript game for them. And this is the third time this year that they did this to the Bengals. It just shows how hard divisional matchups are much like the bills looking at the dolphins in a rear view, the Bengals probably will never be happier to see a team that they know they don't have to see again to put the Ravens to bed. It had to be such a huge moment. And again, it all goes back to the Cincinnati kid, Sam Hubbard on the thick six. Always tainted by Gus Edwards' lack of effort. I that is un. I literally am so happy you told me about that. That's bad. All right, guys, that's the end of our uh, wild card weekend recaps. Here, any hindsight twenty twenty predictions? Even though the game started, fun fact: it is ten thirty five in the game. Tampa Bay and Dallas have both now possessed the ball twice. Yeesh. <laughs> it's gonna be a fun one. Yeesh. I- I still think Dallas is the better team. So I'm going to maintain the two and a half. I said on Thursday's show, we'll see. I don't know if you mentioned this. If you have, I apologize to you guys listening at home. We're going to do kind of an impromptu tiny short episode tomorrow, 15, 20 minutes. I will be able to edit that tomorrow night too. So that will be up by the time you wake up on Wednesday morning. So if you do want to hear us talk about this Cowboys and Buccaneers game, we will be doing that tomorrow. So don't think that we're forgetting about you guys out there at home. But that's all we got, don't right? Are, are we about done? You got it. That's going to bring us to another end of an episode of Loss of Down. Shout out to our sponsors, Tabbies, and as well as abbyturnerphoto.com. Make sure to check us out on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Loss of Down, Twitter, down underscore loss. 
Can anyone explain to me why I don't like Burger King, but that commercial is the biggest bop I've ever heard in my life? Thank you. And BK is delicious, by the way. Shout out to you're the foul. Impossible Whopper. No, sh- David, no, no problem. No, David's the David's the deciding factor. This is a non-BK Burger podcast. King is like is like one of the worst of the mainstream fast food restaurants. Which sucks because so I would go slander. as far as saying that their taste might be the best in the game. Like that char grill burger taste. It feels like it's like you're at a cookout. But then they just the the garden on top of it is just 80% of the burger. The buns are too thick. The pat, just small little guys. Throw a double whopper at it, then you'll be good. Throw an extra dollar or two at it. Buddy. No, I see. I used to like the BK bacon stackers. Those were gas. I love the bacon stackers with the little stacker sauce for like ninety nine cents. Those things were see, unreal. Beef and bacon, you can't fuck that up. Yeah, that's true. Any final words for either of you? I think I'm pretty good, guys. I don't want to jinx anyone, so I'm I'm Syracuse fine. about to come up with a big victory against Miami. Hopefully, they got to close this game out. Let us know your pet peeves. We'll probably be doing things like that at the beginning of an episode a little bit more as the football season ends in about a month. So just keep your eye out for that, too, on all of our socials. Dude, it's getting, it's kind of rainy and cold over by uh, me. What about you guys? Uh, it's definitely cold. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, it's just cold. I don't know about rain. Oh, just wait 15 minutes. It's going to change. Motherfucker. Oh, it is raining. Light rain right now. So, yeah. That was, that was gone. You motherfucker. <laughs> And a pet peeve that Wally got, well, I guess you said it last week.